Jesus never said. And over the last few weeks, over the last month, we've been looking at things Jesus didn't say. I mean, maybe misconceptions we have or, or things that we know he didn't say, but we, we live like it anyway. And today's a perfect example of that. Today is part five of things Jesus never said. And it's this. Jesus never said, don't get mad, get even. You ever heard that? I mean, I, I've heard dorks say stuff like, I don't get mad, I get even. Man, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. And, and we're going to talk about that and explain today why it is so foolish to seek revenge. Why it is so foolish uh, to, to go out and try to retaliate against people that have wronged you. You know, there are times that we have been wronged. And justifiably so, you could be upset with somebody. But guess what? That is going to tear your life down to the foundation and it is not going to be pretty. And we're going to look at some good examples of that today. But before we get started, I want to look at an opening verse here in 1 Peter chapter 2. So open your Bibles to 1 Peter 2. And the reason that I'm so excited about this particular message is because... The topic of forgiveness, the topic of walking in love with other people is absolutely one of the most important things in the whole Bible. Maybe even the most important. We got salvation, but that was because of love. And First John 4 tells us that God is love. And uh, anybody that does not love does not know God. First John 4, 7. So if, you, uh, you know, if you're a, a, a person that holds on to bitterness and rage and unforgiveness... According to John, he said, you can't even possibly know God because God is love. And a person full of hate cannot be full of God at the same time. So look at this. Look at the example of Jesus. First Peter chapter 2 and verse 23. Peter's talking. Peter was here for this when Jesus was murdered. He says he did not retaliate when he was insulted. He did not retaliate when he was insulted, nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. And if we could get a hold of this verse, if we could live our lives this way, if we could be the type of guy that does not retaliate when insulted, if you could be the type of person that doesn't seek revenge when something's been done wrong to you, but you could leave your case in the hands of God, who is a God of justice, who is a God that judges fairly, you're going to be on the same path that Jesus was on. And I can tell you this, no matter what people have done to you, nobody has done to you what they did to Jesus. Because you're sitting before me today. Nobody's killed you. Because Jesus, he was killed. He laid his life down in the most brutal manner possible. And even through all of that, we know that some of his last words were, Father, forgive these people. They don't even know what they're doing right now. And that's the type of person that I want to be like. I want to be like Jesus. I don't want to be a person that's always going from one drama to the next. Do you know people like that? They've got a bone to pick with somebody on every side of town. They've got somebody they're angry with for something that happened 20 years ago, and they're still holding on to it. That's sad, and that's a a great sign of weakness. And we're going to point some things out today that I know are going to help you because they've helped me when I looked in the mirror and said, Dear God, I need to forgive some people, and I need to right some wrongs. So let's go ahead and open up with prayer, and we're going to get into this today. 
Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you, Lord, so much uh, for forgiving us, Lord, for giving us a second chance when we didn't deserve it. I pray that you'll open our hearts and our minds to your word today. Speak to every single person here, God. Show us where we can do better. Show us and give us the strength to be able to let go of things that we've held on to for far too long. And we thank you for it, Father, in Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. Point number one today is this, is that you have been forgiven, you owe it to others. You've been forgiven, you owe it to others. And you're probably thinking, man, I don't know anybody, nothing. You know, I, I, I take care of number one, I take care of me. And if that's your attitude, man, it's going to be a long, bumpy ride. I'm here to help you today and show you some things. So I'm going to show you a remarkable story out of the Bible, Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18 and we're going to look at verses 21 through 35. Now, I don't normally read this many verses all together, but we're going to read this whole story. Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 35. And the great thing about talking about forgiveness and love is that this applies to everybody sitting in this room today. You know what I mean? We, you know, it's great to talk about parenting and marriage and, and finances and, and, you know, God will speak to everybody. But sometimes if you're not a parent, you know, you don't get a lot out of a parenting class. But today we're talking about love and forgiveness. And this applies to every single person that's in this building today, because there is somebody that you probably don't like very much. And maybe, I mean, I, I can't imagine it, but you may be somebody that other people don't like very much. And I know all of you guys are saints, but there, there could possibly be a few in here that you have some people that aren't very fond of you. But we're going to talk about this today. Matthew chapter 18, look at verse 21. Then Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times. No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. I'm like, man, Peter probably thought he was doing pretty good. I, I feel that he came to Jesus trying to look impressive and say, Lord, how many times should I forgive somebody that wrongs me? Seven times. He probably thought that was a high number. And Jesus said, no, that's nowhere near enough, Peter. Not seven times, but 70 times seven. And you can do the math on that. That's 490 times. And in my opinion, Jesus wasn't putting an exact cap on forgiveness where he said, all right, Peter, 490 times. Number 491, punch him in the gut, man, as hard as you can, because they've earned it. 490. No, he was saying, Peter, you just keep on forgiving people. Keep on loving people. Keep. How many times has Jesus been wronged? I've wronged Jesus. Has anybody else in this room done something wrong in the eyes of God Almighty? I have probably more than 490 times in my lifetime. And guess what? He just keeps on forgiving me and saying, get up. Give you another chance, dust me off and pat my butt and send me on the way. That's the type of God that he is. And that's what he's telling us to be. He's saying, no, 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 no. Not seven times. Peter, 70 times seven. Keep loving people. Keep forgiving them. And so it goes on here. And here we got a story, a parable that Jesus told. He said, therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars, say millions of dollars. He couldn't pay. So his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, 
his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. That is a bad situation to be in. I mean, I've owed money before, but they've never made me sell my wife and children and, and imprison me until I could get the debt paid back. This is about the worst case scenario that could happen. But, but check this out. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, please be patient with me and, and I'll pay it all. Then his master was filled with pity for him and he released him and forgave his debt. Can you imagine the magnitude of thankfulness that you would have in this situation? If I owed millions of dollars and my wife and my kids were sold as slaves and I was in prison and then the guy feels sorry and says, you know what? Let's just forget about the whole thing. You can have your wife and kids back. You don't owe me a single penny. You just go about your way. Just think about that. How grateful would you be if you were forgiven of something that huge? You would be amazingly thankful. I mean, I, I would, I would, I would be so thankful. I'd be jumping up and down. I'd be dancing. I'd hug the guy. I'd do everything to say thank you because he just saved and changed my life. But look at this. Look at this hypocrite here. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. Say few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me and I'll pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. I mean, can you believe this? This guy was just forgiven millions. And now this guy owes him mere pennies in comparison to that. And he won't cut the guy some slack. He won't even give him an extra week. He won't even give him an extra day. He says, it's now or nothing. You pay or you go to jail. What a wicked person we're looking at here. This is pure evil. When, when some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. I'd be ticked off. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. Then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, You evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. And it's really hard to earn millions of dollars when you're locked up in prison. So I'm guessing this man was tortured for a very, very long time, possibly for all of eternity, because you cannot earn that type of money when you're sitting in jail locked up. And Jesus said, he ends this story with a very heavy and piercing word to each of us here. He said, that's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. How heavy is that? How deep is that? That Jesus said, until you truly forgive your brothers and sisters, you're locked in prison, man. You are going to be tortured until you can pay this debt. You're going to be tortured until you make things right. And I feel like I know some people like this guy where they've been forgiven of a huge, big old mess. And then they're mad at somebody else for something seemingly minor that's happened in their life. And they just won't let go of it. Listen, Jesus forgave you of all the things that you've done. And we've all done a lot of wrong things. How dare us 
hold something against another human being when it can't possibly compare to what Jesus himself went through? Well, what if you keep on forgiving and they just keep on making you mad again and again? Well, what would you say to that? I would say 70 times 7, brother. You better keep on forgiving just like Jesus said. And I will say this as a side note. There is a difference between forgiveness and trust. If you hit me every time I walk through the door, I will forgive you every single time. But I probably won't trust you very much anymore. And I'll probably start using a different door. Uh, But, you know, there's a difference between forgiveness and trust. I'm not going to hate you. I'm not going to wish you to go to hell. But I I am going to find a way for you to not hit me in the head anymore. Because, that you know, that's that's foolish. All right? Uh, uh, So, check this out. Verse 35 says, you'll be imprisoned for as long as you refuse to forgive the other person. And so this is something that needs to be noted. Unforgiveness holds you in prison. Unforgiveness holds you in a prison that you have the key to. That you have a key to. Can you imagine if you've been locked in prison for years and and you had the key in your hand that could open up that jail cell that could open up those prison doors and you're just sitting there complaining, pacing back and forth every day in your cell. Man, I wish someone would get me out of here. I wish there was a way. I wish there was some way. This is wrong. This isn't fair. This is miserable. Somebody should get me out of here. And you're holding the key the entire time. I mean, come on. You would look like a fool right there. Anybody could come up and say, man, the key's in your hand. Just get out. And I do recognize and I do admit that, yes, forgiveness is easier said than done. But the truth of the matter is this, is that it is not impossible or Jesus would not have asked us to do it. If it was impossible, Jesus would have no right to come in and say, uh, you are absolutely required to forgive, just so you know it's impossible. And, and, and anybody that doesn't forgive, they're going to be tortured and held in prison until they do, but it's impossible to do. So have a nice life being tortured. No, that would be wrong, and that wouldn't be just. God is a God of justice, and, and forgiveness can be a little bit difficult, but it's not impossible when we'll do things God's way. Now let me show you a verse that's going to hit you right between the eyes, so yeah, if you're sensitive, Hold, hold on to the edge of your seat. Colossians 3.13. Colossians 3.13. I love this verse. Colossians 3.13. And it is quite possible to hear some groans after we read this. Colossians 3, verse 13. Forgiveness applies to everybody that's ever been born into this earth. Colossians 3.13 The Apostle Paul writing, he says this, he says, make allowance for each other's faults. Man, make allowance for their faults. I know some people that won't cut anybody some slack on anything, anything. They don't make allowance for anything that anybody else ever does wrong. As soon as their coworker messes up, oh, here he goes. He's such a bum. He's so lazy. I hate working with this guy. Here he is. He he did the wrong thing again. He he you know he he screwed the wrong part in. He did this over here. And man, just because somebody it takes them a little bit longer to get things than you at your job, cut them some slack. Make allowance for their faults because there's some things that you're not as good at as other people. How would you like it if every time you didn't get it right the first, second, or third time Jesus came and smacked you on the back of the head? Come on, man, you're an idiot. Can't you do anything right? Can't you get anything right? No, he cuts us slack. It says, make allowance for each other's faults. And then it says, forgive anyone who offends you. Well, who should I forgive that offends me? 
anybody that offends me, I am required to forgive because the Lord forgave you. So you must forgive others. Wow. That's deep right there. And you may say, man, I've heard this stuff a thousand times. Then why don't you live it? Then why don't you act like it's true? Jesus said, I've forgiven you. You have got to forgive other people. And, you know, maybe you have a, a friend or loved one that has a slightly annoying habit. Does anybody have a, you know, somebody in your life that can be annoying? You love them, but they're annoying. Well, let's give a hand for annoying people today. You know. If there were no annoying people in this world, we would not have a chance to practice the Bible. So I thank God for annoying people because they're extremely irritating and annoying. But here's the thing with annoying people and with irritating people, you have got it says you got to forgive them. You've got to cut them some slack. Now, I'm not saying they're going to be your best friend. You got to, you know, hang out with them every single night. But to hold hate and hostility in your heart against anybody is 100 percent opposed to the teachings of Jesus. He said, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you because Jesus forgave you. And so, uh, you know, I, I actually I was thinking of this story. I, I knew this guy. He was a convicted two-time felon. All right. I'm not, you know, praise God that he, he changed his life, I believe. But a convicted two-time felon, he had been forgiven of so much stuff. We gave him chances to serve and, and lead in the church. He finds out another guy had a divorce before he was even saved. And the guy absolutely can't forgive him. Guy, No, I can't believe it. this guy had a divorce. I, I, I just, I can't believe this. I can't be friends with him. I just got to leave the church. And I'm thinking, bro, you were, you have been forgiven of dealing drugs and ruining lives two separate occasions? I'm not making, I'm not judging anybody that's come out of that lifestyle, but I am saying you should be very thankful that you got not only a second chance, but a third chance in life that God still loves you for possibly ruining children and other people's lives and you can't forgive somebody that got a divorce when they weren't even a Christian. My God, something is wrong with this picture. And and don't be like that person where you've been forgiven of millions of dollars of debt. And you see somebody else that didn't even wrong you. You weren't even involved in the situation. You're like, man, I can't even hang here. I can't. It makes me sick to my stomach to even look at that guy. I mean, how pathetic and foolish is that? But I know some Christians like that, man. They've been forgiven of millions. And yet they hold somebody else's past against them when it was before they were even a Christian. I'll tell you what, I don't think Jesus likes that very much. I don't think that, that God cares too much for that type of an attitude. And so I encourage you, don't be that man. It says you're locked in prison and tortured until you can pay the debt. Now, the second point today is this. Okay, why is forgiveness so important? Why should I not seek to get revenge in my life? Well, this is a pretty big one because you need your faith to work. You need your faith to work. If you are holding on to unforgiveness, I can almost guarantee you that your prayers will not get answered. I mean, I, I, it's a very strong likelihood that if you are full of bitterness, rage and anger and unforgiveness, your faith is crippled and it is not going to work and your prayers are not going to get answered. And so if I am going through a difficult time in my life, the first thing that I do is say, God, I got to I got to stop. I got to examine my life. Is there anybody right now that I need to make things right with? Because I need my faith firing on all cylinders right now. I need the full force package 
of faith to work. And if I've got bitterness and anger and hostility and I'm seeking revenge against somebody, are you kidding me, man? My prayers aren't getting answered. I'm going to I'm going to be stuck in that mess until I learn to let go. So let me show you where the Bible says this. Galatians chapter five and verse six. Galatians five, six. We still awake today. All right. The summer heat isn't lulling you to sleep, is it? All right. Galatians five, verse six. And we'll read this in the King James Version. Galatians chapter 5, verse 6. And again, the Apostle Paul writing, this is deep. And this, I mean, if you don't get anything today other than this one verse right here, get this verse. You have got to get this. This will change your life. Galatians 5, 6 says, For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision avails anything or uncircumcision. Look at this last sentence. Here's what I'm getting at. But faith which worketh by Love. How does your faith work? By love. And so, I, I, you know, I, I, I just can't get over it. I see some people get praying for the same thing for years and years and, 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 and seeking it out and, and all this stuff. And 50 years from now, they're still going after the same thing. And at the same time, they're still holding on to a grudge for all those 50 years. They're still bitter and mad and angry and pointing fingers for all of those years. Well, it's absolutely no wonder why things aren't changing in their life because faith works by love. How silly would it be if I completely ran my car out of gas? It was empty. It was on the side of the road dead. And I'm sitting there like, man, I just don't get it. I don't know why this thing won't work. This isn't fair. It's wrong. It's unjust. I don't deserve to be in this situation. This is messed up. This is wrong. I can't believe this. I blame the car. I blame God. I blame everybody else, but I'm definitely not myself. But what is wrong with this situation? Well, I could break it down like this and say, brother, cars worketh by fuel. Now, there's other factors, but you aren't getting anywhere without fuel unless you get one of those sissy, you know, plug it in things. But anyway, so 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 look at this. Check it out. How can you sit there and get mad and saying, why won't this work? Why? Oh, this is so unfair. I hate it. I hate it. Listen, I can tell you why. And it's not me judging you. It's me helping you saying if there is somebody that you're holding hatred or unforgiveness against, Listen to me. You're going to be stuck in that spot until you learn to forgive and walk in love because faith works by love. Prayers get answered by faith and faith works by love. I mean, it's not that complicated to understand, but prayers get answered by faith and faith works by love. You know, Brother Hagen always, you know, always said that if his prayers weren't getting answered, the first thing he checked was his love walk. Is there somewhere that I, that I'm, I'm messing up? Is there somebody that I'm holding something against? And if there was, he'd correct it right away. But I want to say this today. The dumbest thing you can do to someone who has wronged you is to try to retaliate. I mean, now we're, get, we're going to get down to kindergarten, preschool level Christianity right here. The, this isn't the deep things of God. You don't have to have a theology degree to understand this. This is, this is extremely basic. If you've been a Christian for five minutes, you need to understand this truth. The absolute dumbest thing that you can do as a Christian is to try to retaliate against somebody that's wronged you. I mean, grow up. Grow up. It's not an eye for an eye anymore. Oh, okay, I get it. Poked my eye. Guess what? Pick a number. Boop. You know, two. Come on, it's three stooges. Listen to me. And that's what, that's what it comes down to. If you're out there laying awake and I, oh, how could I get them back? I know, I know. 
I, 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 can, I can slash their tires. I can do it. I mean, seriously, grow up. That is the absolute dumbest thing for a born-again Christian to do. And according to John, once again, just write this reference down, 1 John 4, 7 and 8. It says, anyone that does not love does not know God, for God is love. So if you're too busy seeking revenge and retaliation and how you can make things even, listen, according to the Bible, and this is going to sound so harsh and so mean and so rude, but I mean it with all my heart. I doubt your Christianity at that point. And I just mean that very sincerely. If you have always got to retaliate, if you've always got to make things even and get revenge and strike back and, and get the last word and one up everybody. I sincerely doubt if you've had a true salvation experience, because according to John, you can't even know God if you're that type of person for God is love. And this it sounds so harsh. It sounds so mean. But sometimes the truth hurts. And as we said a few weeks ago, just because the truth hurts, it doesn't change the fact that it's true. It's absolutely true that we've got to, uh, to, to seek to forgive and, and, and seek to let things go. And, and again, Jesus is our ultimate example. We won't turn there today, but in Matthew chapter 14, Jesus finds out that his dear cousin, John the Baptist, has, he's been executed, okay? They, he was locked up in prison, and King Herod at this drunken wild party, he has John's head cut off placed on a, on a tray, a silver tray, and they prayed it through the, the party, prayed it through all the drunks and the, the everything else, nasty strippers that are in there. And, and they're like, hey, look, here's the great prophet. And, and they're just absolutely adding insult to injury, mocking one of Jesus' best friends. And in Matthew 14, it says, this, this hurt Jesus. He has emotions, okay? He's on earth at this time. He, he's got emotions, and, and, and it upset him. And so Jesus gets in the boat and goes to the other side of the lake for a few days to be alone. He, just, he needed a minute to stop, collect his thoughts, and calm down. But guess what? He gets to the other side of the lake, and a huge crowd finds out, Jesus went to the other side. Man, I need prayer right now. I need some counseling. I need some help. I need some prayer. I, I, I need him to fix my kids. I need Jesus to feed me. I need Jesus to help me. And so by the time he gets there, there's a huge crowd already waiting on him by the time he steps out of that boat. And Jesus at that point could have said, can I not get five minutes to myself? I, I at least deserve that. I, can I, can, I mean, does everybody always need something from me? But listen, Jesus didn't say that. Jesus stepped out of that boat, Matthew 14, and it says he saw all these sick people. He saw all these depressed people. He saw all, all, all these broken homes, and, he, and it says he had compassion on them. Jesus stepped right off of that boat and said, all right. Anything I need, it's out the window. Boom. He just starts, starts healing the sick, starts bringing peace and joy and all of this. He destroyed the works of the devil by doing good in a time of crisis. Now, now let me say this. Is that if, if Jesus had tried to retaliate against Herod, if Jesus had, had laid there and thought, you know what? I know how I could handle this. I could get God to maybe send some angels down, some of the heavenly hosts just... You know, some of the Chuck Norris angels just come in and boom and, and, you know, bless these guys. But he didn't do any of that. He went out and, and, and he healed the sick. He did something about it because check it out. Forgiveness is a spiritual issue. If you always try to retaliate physically, emotionally, 
you're taking it out of the spiritual realm and you have no right to win that battle. If I handle things spiritually, I've got spiritual authority. I don't have emotional authority to go and destroy people's emotions. I don't have this physical authority to come and retaliate. If Jesus had let Satan trap him into an emotional or physical battle, it would have stopped everything good going on right there. But Jesus retaliated spiritually. When somebody wrongs me, I try to retaliate spiritually. I pray for that person as much as I can. I pray for the situation. And, and I mean, that'd be a perfect time to go out and feed the homeless, go out and pray for the sick, go out and, and visit the veterans home and spread the love of Jesus. That's the perfect time to do something like that when you are so tempted to get out there and retaliate and, and, and bring matters into your own hands. Don't do it. Don't get trapped into an emotional battle Keep things in the spiritual realm. So our battle is spiritual, not physical or emotional. Our battle is spiritual. It's not physical or emotional. And it, you, you have absolutely got to get this point. Quit seeking revenge. Quit trying to take matters into your own hands. What did Jesus do? First Peter 2.23, it says he left his case in the hands of God who always judges things Fairly. Now, I want to show you something here. Romans chapter 12. Let's look at Romans 12. Romans chapter 12. And as we turn there, I'll say this. Fighting people physically and emotionally is a losing battle. You are not going to win that. Nobody wins an emotional fight. Nobody wins a physical fight. My father-in-law, he told me that the only difference between the winner and loser of a fight is the loser is slightly more sore at the end. But both of you, you know, got messed up and jacked up. I mean, what's the point in that? that that's... Yeah, come on, that's stupid. Absolutely stupid. Romans chapter 12, verses 19 through 21. Romans chapter 12, verses 19 through 21. Now, now check this out. And I, I love this, because if you want a good way to get revenge, here's the Bible way to do it. Romans 12, verse 19. It says, dear friends, never take revenge. Say, never take revenge. He says, leave that to the righteous anger of God, for the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. And so, yeah, if somebody is completely wronging you and, and just absolutely doing you wrong, they'll answer to God for it. God's going to take care of that. And you don't need to be sitting on the sidelines wait. oh, I can't wait till God comes in. Just strike him, Lord, strike him. No, you don't be that type of guy. But... Rest assured, they will have their day to stand before the Almighty. And they will answer for the things that they have done. No doubt about it. But if you take it into your hands, you're going to screw that whole process up. So look at this. It says, instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. Are you serious? That sounds like... That sounds weak. That looks like a sign of weakness. But no. Look at this. It says, if they are thirsty, give them something to drink. Now, here's the reason why. It says, in doing this... You will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Do you have anybody that you would just love to see burning coals of shame? Burning, not, 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 not literally, but just, burning coals of shame come raining down upon their head. And that sounds terrible, but listen, how shameful is it? How embarrassing would it be if, if I've treated you bad for years? I've spread rumors and gossip. I've got on the Internet and typed little things about you. And I, I've just done all these sissy, cowardly things to you for years. And then I'm in a bad situation. And the first person to come to my rescue is you. Do you realize how embarrassed I would have to be? 
How, how, how would I feel if I've done you wrong for the past 10 years and I've spread things about you and everything else? And then in my moment of need, you come through and say, here, I, I've got extra food. Let me take care of you right now. Here, take a drink. You, you, you need some rest. You need to sit down. You need a little extra money. That's okay. I've got some right now. Let, let me bless you, brother. Let, let me just take care of you. There's a shower of raining coals coming down right now upon my head. And it hurts. But guess what? That's the love of God. I didn't seek retaliation all those years. The way that I got my revenge was I overcame evil with good. That's the next verse on the screen here. There's a verse 21 right here. It says, don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. It is so much sweeter to be able, and I mean, that, that, that is the best form of getting back at somebody, is to repay evil with good. When you can come in and completely bless somebody that's cursed you, there's nothing better in this world than that right there. And to be able to mend a broken relationship, to be able to restore somebody to Jesus because you didn't seek revenge in your own hands for all of those years. That's the Bible way of getting back at somebody. And that's, that's exactly what we need to do. And that's what Jesus did, man. Everywhere he went, people wronged him. He turned around. He turned the other cheek. He walked the extra mile. He did all these things because Jesus will never ask us to do something that he wouldn't do himself. I had a boss when I was in high school. My first job, I worked in the fried chicken industry. And to this day, I love fried chicken. But at the same time, you know, I had this old, my boss, I, you know, this, this old redneck hillbilly. He looked like, looked like Phil Robertson off of Doug Dynasty, just to give you an idea. And so, but, but my boss, Delmer, he always, always say this to me. Now, Dave, you listen to me. I would never ask you to do something that I would not do myself. And I'm like. Well, and he wouldn't. The truth is, he wouldn't. If he asked me to get up on top of the roof in a tornado and patch it, he'd be right there beside me. If he asked me to go do this or that, he'd do the exact same thing. So in turn, I had tons of respect for this guy. Now, he didn't pay me much. I made $5 an hour. But still, I absolutely, I respected him and I would do anything for him because I knew he was fair, man. He would not tell me, you go do this. But I'm, you know, I wouldn't do it, but you do it. No, he was fair. And it's the same way with Jesus. He's not going to tell you to forgive other people when he didn't even do it himself because Jesus is fair. He is just and he wouldn't tell you to do something that he wouldn't do himself. Our point number three today is this is forgiveness brings freedom. There are some people in this room today that are slaves. And you're like, that sounds mean. That's not true. Yeah, there's people in this room. There's people in every room. There's people all over the world today that are slaves and they don't even realize it. And you're like, that's a pretty bold statement, bro. Well, look at this. Second Peter chapter two, verse 19. Let me show you this. Second Peter chapter two, verse 19. You may not be in prison or slavery physically, but spiritually and emotionally, you are a wreck and you are a slave. Second Peter chapter two, verse 19. And we're going to show you how to get out of this today. Second Peter chapter two, verse 19. Peter writing, he says, they promise freedom, but they themselves are slaves of sin and corruption. Now, here's what I want to get at is the last part of this verse. He says, for you are a slave to whatever controls you. 
Think about that. What what is the definition of slavery? It's being controlled by somebody else against your will. It's an awful, heinous, disgusting thing. But there's people in our day and age that are slaves to rage. Rage controls their life. No, their friends and family have no idea. When is she going to blow up again? I just, I don't even want to talk. I don't even want to be in the same room. She's likely to blow up at any moment. And you don't want to be like that, but it controls you. It's like, it's, it's, it's like everywhere you go, you don't know when you're going to blow up. I know people that are, that are slaves to fear. They're too afraid to take the next step in life. They're too afraid to even go to the store because they may see somebody, you know, that, that wronged them. And I mean, I know people that are absolutely slaves to unforgiveness. It controls their life. It messes with their sleep. They, they lay awake at night thinking about how much they hate somebody else. They don't know, you know, that they, they don't want to go to this store or to that place or come to church anymore or whatever the case is because there's somebody that they absolutely can't stand. And listen to me, if there's something in your life that's holding you back from what you are really supposed to be doing, it's controlling the decisions you make. It owns you. You're a slave to it. The only thing that I want to be a slave to is Jesus. I don't, I don't mind Jesus controlling me. I don't mind every decision I make saying, you know what? Jesus wants me to do this, so I'm going to do it. Jesus wants me to go to church here. Jesus wants me to work here. Jesus wants me to do this. Jesus can control every decision I make. I want to be controlled by Jesus. I don't want to be controlled by bitterness. I don't want to be controlled by fear or poverty or sickness, or, or anything else, or, or uh, you know, a failing marriage, anything that tries to control our lives, you are a slave to whatever controls you. But the thing is, is you don't have to be a slave anymore if you'll do things God's way. And so I don't want anybody in this room to be controlled by something that they don't need to be controlled by. And, and, and some people are so controlled by unforgiveness that they're slaves to it. And I'll say this. Most of the people that I see that have their lives being run crazy by Satan, they've got depression, they've got, they've got just, you know, bitterness and, and, and nothing seems to go right. Most of the people that I see like this are people that have serious unforgiveness issues. I'm not saying every time. It's an attack of the enemy. But most of the people that I see that are just so full of it, man, it, it, they, somewhere along the line, there's some unforgiveness issues that need to be dealt with that were never dealt with before. And so let me show you how Jesus handled it. Luke 23, verse 34. Luke 23, verse 34. Is, are we helping anybody today? Luke 23, verse 34. And I'll say that I, I know some very miserable, unforgiving, rage-filled people that I, they, they do. They love Jesus, that, and, and they just they can't seem to get over it. They, they do love Jesus. I don't doubt their love for God, but they will never walk in the blessings that God has for them until they choose to admit they have a problem, and they choose to forgive other people. And so, I, you know, I, I really hope this is hitting some people right in the head today. I, you know, I, and I don't feel bad if it is. I really hope that this is just a slap across the chops that's going to wake you up and say, I need to deal with this and I need to admit that I, I've been wrong. Even if they were wrong in doing this to me, it's wrong of me to hold on to it. Luke 23, verse 34. And so we're looking at, at the final moments of Jesus' life right here. Man, he, he's been beaten to a pulp. Isaiah said he was so disgusting looking, you couldn't even tell he was a human being. 
He was, I mean, can you imagine just his nose and his, just his skin and bone showing and, and just, I mean, just the bloody, nasty, disgusting mess. He looked just like raw meat hanging there. He did not even resemble a human being. And he's laying up there on this cross, his mom. How embarrassing is this, man? How embarrassing is it to be crucified? This is something reserved for the most disgusting and rotten, evil people. And here, the only perfect person ever, he's up there hanging naked in front of his mom and his sisters and and his friends, bleeding and dying to death for something he wasn't even wrong. And here he is in this moment, just the pain that he's going through. And in this final moment of his life, He says this, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. If Jesus in that moment could say those words, why can't you? Why can't I? Why can't we let go and say, God, just don't even hold it against them. Give them another chance, God. Send somebody into their life, Lord. Change their heart. Soften their heart to listen to you, God. I don't want you to kill them. I, I don't, I don't, I'm not looking for revenge, God. Just help them out. They're, they are, they're a mess right now, God. They need your help. They need you so bad. Jesus, speak into their lives. Reach their hearts. Use somebody to come in and touch them, Jesus. I don't, I don't want to see them die. I don't want to see them go to hell as a bitter, angry little person. Lord, change their lives. Touch them in Jesus' name. And Jesus is hanging up there in the most shameful position ever. He says, God, forgive them. These guys don't even know what they're doing. Don't even hold it against them, Lord. If Jesus could do it, I have no excuse. Nobody's done this to me. People have done me wrong at some points in my life. Nobody's done that to me. Nobody's murdered me in front of my own mother and hung me up naked in front of my friends and and my sisters. I mean, what Jesus went through is beyond anything you've gone through. And I don't feel bad saying that. And I know some some of you in here, you've been through some stuff, but you haven't been through this. And Jesus chose to forgive even through all of it. So the last verse we're going to look at today is 2 Corinthians 3.17. 2 Corinthians 3.17. And this will absolutely set you free if you'll let it. If you've been in prison, if you've been a slave to unforgiveness and bitterness, listen. Jesus never told you to get even. He never said, don't you get mad. You go get even. You go make things, you, you go handle it, you know, you man take out their other eye knock both of their knees out no he never said that stuff man second corinthians three seventeen. now the lord is that spirit and where the spirit of the lord is there is freedom and i will tell you this today if you have ever lived even five minutes of your life not being free from something you appreciate freedom has anybody in here ever been a slave to something that you didn't want controlling you? I have. I have been a slave at points in my life. I've been controlled by things other than Jesus. And when I let Jesus come in and change me and change my heart and set me free, there is no greater feeling in this world than the feeling of freedom. And as, as Christians in America, we oftentimes we fail to appreciate freedom because I was born into it. I've never li- I've been to a communist nation. And I can tell you this. There is a when when there's no freedom in the atmosphere. I, I've been into Russia and everything. Listen to me. And some of you have been to these places. You can understand when there's a feeling of bondage 
that's controlled people's lives for years and generations. It is so thick in the air. You can feel it. Anybody else been there? When you're, when you're in an atmosphere where there's no freedom, you just step off of the plane and you're like, oh dear God, something's wrong right here. You see the depression. You see the, the looks on these people's faces that have been controlled and told what to do their entire lives. They've never had the freedom to make decisions and choices for themselves. Listen to me. Once you step out of that, once you once you've been released and free and you're now a part of a different kingdom, the kingdom of God, and you've got freedom. Listen, there is nothing greater in this world than to be a free man or a free woman. And so today, if you're here and and unforgiveness has been an issue for you. And some of you are probably not willing to let go and say, yeah, I'm holding on forgiveness, but you don't know what they did to me. Well, fine. Hold on to it. Live the rest of your life being tortured and in prison. It's not my business. Just go ahead. But if if you could say, yeah, I want to get let go of it. I don't want this anymore. I don't care who was right or who was wrong. I am absolutely done with it. Today's your day for freedom. Today is the day that you take the key that is in your hand. You stick it in that door. You twist it. You open it. And you walk out of that jail a free person. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So let's stand up together today. We're going to stand up. We are going to stand up today. Amen. And this is the last thing. I'm sorry I didn't say it. Forgiveness is the biggest sign of maturity a Christian can possess. Forgiveness is the biggest sign of maturity that a Christian can possess. So let's let's take a minute here. I want to do this, man. You know, listen, we've had a lot go on today, but there's nothing more important than this right now. Josh is going to lead us in this song. I'm asking you for your benefit, not for mine. Listen, whatever you do is your business. It is not going to affect me if you want to hate people forever. That's whatever. But I'm asking you for your benefit and, and, and to change your life. Let's take a minute here as we've got this worship music going on, as you are in a spiritual atmosphere, as you are surrounded by the love of Jesus and by friends and family that know God and love God, I want to take a minute for each of us to examine our lives. And most of you, you already have somebody on your mind that you've got issues with. It's already there. You're not going to have to dig. Some of you may have to, you know, you may have to dare, or, or, or maybe you've just made things right with everybody already. But I want to take just a minute right now to examine our lives. I'm going to do it. I'm asking you to do it and say, God, help me right now. Help me. And then, you know what I want you to do? I want you in this room to say a prayer for that person. Say, God, touch them. Bless them. Change their heart. Send somebody into their life that they'll listen to. But we're going to take a minute to do that right now because I want you to be free. So let's examine ourselves.